0: Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner
4: Program. I've been so many places in my life and time. Sung a lot of songs, I made some bad rhymes. I acted my life on stages. Ten thousand people watching But we're alone now And I'm singing this song for you I know your image of me Is what I hope to be I treated you so kindly But darling, can Oh, One more fucking TV. baby. Get your piece through me. Cause we're alone now, and I'm singing this song for you. together listen to the melody cause my love is in their hiding I love you in a place where there's no space or time Love you for my life Because you're a friend of mine When my life is over Remember we're together We were alone And I was singing this song Singing this song
2: from the Tom Sumner show oh
5: yeah hey welcome back everybody this is the Tom Sumner program and uh, this hour we're going to talk about something a, a little different um A lot of people are trying to figure out why there have been so many uh, shortages of available staff as a result of the pandemic. But uh, a new book by my guest this hour suggests that those shortages were already happening and uh, exacerbated by the pandemic. And while everybody's trying to figure out why this is happening, his new book looks not only at why, but how to overcome it, um, these these staff shortages. The book is called Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business and the Community by uh, banker Jeffrey Korzenik, who joins me by phone. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the show.
3: Thanks so much, Tom. Delighted to be with your listeners.
5: Um, let's talk about this a little bit. I think I know what you mean But just to be sure that all of the listeners understand, what do you mean when you say second chance hiring?
3: Sure. Different people use this term uh, in different ways, but for me it means hiring people with criminal records and giving people who have made mistakes in their life a second chance to uh, be contributing members of, of the economy and of society.
5: And I was reading something about your book that, that suggested some people think, uh, some economists anyway, think that uh, allowing more immigrants into the country would help with the shortage. But um, you seem to think that maybe that's
3: well, I, I, not I, preferred. I'm a, I, yeah, I'm a pragmatist at heart, and there's not a tremendous amount of political will for that our existing legal immigration system um, admits in about 600,000 people each year, but only about half of them are uh, actually join the workforce. Many are too old, some are too young, some are stay-at-home parents. So that has been a limited, but a very important addition to our workforce. But the fundamental problem in the United States is also a problem abroad. the developed world, in particular, stopped, ha- and many parts of the emerging uh, uh, economies, as well, the you know, what we used to call once upon a time the third world, um, stopped having enough children decades ago, and so that's why we have been heading towards this labor force shortage for a long time. So it's not just in the U.S., but it's in most of the other countries where we'd want to attract labor. So uh, I'm the son and grandson of immigrants. I'm I'm not anti-immigration. Uh, but we have to realize that that 's not that can be part of the solution but it 's not enough
5: you know it's it 's interesting and and the numbers are staggering but before we get into some of the statistics uh jeff um, your background is in banking what What drew you into looking at what ultimately is um, a, a, a part of criminal justice reform?
3: I, I don't see them necessarily as separate issues. Um, ultimately, uh, this, I'm offering a solution for the companies we, we bank who are facing a labor shortage, and in doing so also happens to make our communities better. So um, I, I don't really know a better role than a, for a banker than solving our customer problems and improving our <laughs> communities. Um that being said, the tie-in was is that my principal responsibility professionally is helping uh, oversee the management of over $40 billion in investment assets on behalf of our clients. You can't understand investments if you don't understand the economy, and you can't understand the economy unless you understand what's going on in the labor market. So it was identifying these labor market problems as well as labor market solutions that is really the tie in to my to, to being a banker.
5: Now, some people are already beginning to look at and work with what they call returning citizens or, you know, when I was growing up we'd just call them ex cons. <laughs> but um, what I I can't help wondering if a bank or a daycare center, you know, can can get this new thinking going and hire people that have prison records. Um, and and it, it reminds me of, of how surreal it felt the first time I went into a bank lobby during the mask mandates <laughs> during COVID-19 and looking right. around and everybody in the bank lobby is wearing a mask.
3: <laughs> right. That's normally a big negative for that's, bankers.
5: Uh, yeah. Usually there's people looking for buttons under desks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, uh, but it's but the idea is, and this is and this is what I want to try to set up, Jeff, is that we need some very different thinking.
3: That's absolutely right, and it's important to recognize that. First of all, I'm not recommending that every single person with a criminal record is hireable. Period. I'm not saying that every even hireable person with a criminal record is a good fit in every instance. It's just that the pool of talent is so large that we shouldn't shut the door to everyone. And there's a natural tendency when you hear someone has a felony conviction that they must be a horrible person who's, created, who, who's committed a heinous crime. And very often that is not true. Uh, just as a for instance, um, about half of the people who have felony convictions in the United States were convicted of a crime of such a minor threat to public safety that they didn't even have to serve a prison term, meaning a year or longer in a, in a, uh, in a prison facility. They might've spent a little time in a county jail, typically pre-trial detention. They might've been fined, They might be on probation. Uh, they might have had to do community service, but they still get their, their resumes and applications, very often get tossed out as if they were ex-murderers just because they have a felony conviction.
5: And they're required and, to check the box.
3: Correct. And, you know, absolutely right. It, it, there are companies that automatically discard these resumes once there's any sign of a conviction. Well, what uh, I it, find
5: interesting about about your book, Jeff, is that there was a time when you know, somebody would post a, a job opening somewhere, and they'd get 200, 300 applications. And they would have to have automatic built-in rejections to try to pare that pool down to a reasonable number. And so, you know, a felony conviction was an automatic, you know, goes on the reject pile.
3: And often, correct, and often with automated software no human being actually may have touched that resume
5: exactly and but things are different now aren't they
3: they are we have a labor shortage unlike anything we've ever seen in the united states to put some numbers on it there are something like 10 million job openings in the united states currently and roughly 7 million job seekers that's a big gap. We've never seen anything like that. We cannot afford, as a country, as an economy, it's in all our interests, to grow our economy faster by being able to grow our workforce. And we can't do it unless we broaden out our thinking.
5: Now, this this may get into, you know, sort of a chicken-in-the-egg scenario, but um, I've, I've had a, a guy on our show who's doing some amazing work in Flint, Michigan, where our show is based, Leon uh, El Alameen is his name, and he runs the Maid Institute here. And what he does is he actually goes into prisons and starts preparing guys for when they get out. Or I should say, guys and women, because. It's
3: both, for sure. It's predominantly male. But it uh, is
5: predominantly male. And. But his his thing is that he has a program for them to land in that helps them find a place to stay. And and they're doing, you know, habitat building type stuff, you know, to build these Great. residences and learning some skills and some trades along the way. and And then he helps them right up to and including when they find a job. And he's getting tremendous support from people. The chicken and the egg part of this is, should people coming out, returning citizens, be automatically given the benefit of the doubt? Or or do they stand a better chance if there are programs in communities like Leon's?
3: I'm a great believer in these kinds of programs. Uh, they generally come under the heading of reentry programs.
5: You know, I am too, but, I, yeah. I'm, but I'm afraid that, that the programs don't have enough resources to keep up with the flow.
3: So the model that I've seen work, and this is what I write about and this is what I share to business leaders, is that as a business looking for employees, you can't do this effectively on your own. If you want to find true talent, you need a referral source, a pipeline of talent. And organizations like this program in Flint are the referral sources. They're the pipeline of talent that businesses need. And if they're doing their job right, they're not only getting people ready, but they're helping businesses identify who's a good fit. It's impossible for a business to ascertain in, you know, the course of a typical interview process who's truly ready and who's truly going to be a great employee but when you get these partnerships and if they are working for your business you should help fund those partnerships make sure they have the resources they need not just money but expertise and coaching and things like that that's where the win really happens because if you find the person who's ready to turn their life around and is going to be a good fit they tend to be and then you give them the the tools they need to thrive They tend to be not just any employee, certainly not an employee of last resort, but they tend to be exceptionally engaged and loyal employees, and that's a recipe for profitability for businesses.
5: More about Second Chance Hiring with the author of Untapped Talent, Jeffrey Korzenik, straight ahead.
3: Everybody's
4: doing a brand new dance now.
6: Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
7: Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month?
2: Does your office have a website for
7: that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner radio show.
5: More about second chance hiring with the author of Untapped Talent, Jeffrey Korzenik, straight ahead. Jeff, you talked about uh, you've talked about in the book that that a lot of the people who end up getting a second chance become more productive. Um, attendance is better, loyalty is, is is there, there isn't as much turnover. I mean, they, they so appreciate the fact that they have a second chance that they actually become better employees. Now, that's not true with all of them, of course, and, of course. and you identify that there is some risk to this. But when it works, it works incredibly well.
3: And I think the reason for that is human nature. I think most of us, certainly myself included, and perhaps many of your listeners as well, can think of times in our own lives where we fell down. We did something that was essentially beneath the kind of people we want to be and hope to be and strive to be. What people of character do when you fall down like that is you pick yourself up and you you redouble your efforts to prove you are more than your worst mistake. And when you find the right people from this large population who are ready to do this, that's why it works. They want to prove to themselves, their families, and the world that they are more than their worst mistakes. And th- and that's that's the secret sauce to why this is so effective.
5: How did you get focused on looking to returning citizens as untapped talent as you sought to explore why there were why there was a shortage and what could be done about it.
3: I started looking at this around 2013-2014 when the big topic among economists was why are we missing so many people uh, particularly uh, prime age males working-age males, why are we missing so many from the workforce? It was, it was kind of this mystery. And as I started to study this myself, I started to understand that social ills were impacting the workforce in ways we've never seen in U.S. history. The uh, long-term inpo- uh, uh, unemployment after 2008, 2009, and in cities like Flint, which, which had the uh, terrible destruction of manu- the manufacturing base, starting in 2000 to you know 2010 or so, um, all of these things were um, causing long-term unemployment. That, that tends to force people to drop out of the workforce. Then you had the opioid epidemic in many states and many parts of the country. And then when you start looking at social, uh, social ills as economic issues, it quickly led me to this incarceration and recidivism issue, the fact that people who had a criminal record uh, and, and we had a very high number of those in the United States relative to the rest of the world. And not
5: necessarily uh, for violent crimes.
3: No, and, and I would also hasten to add that there are people who have been convicted of violent crimes who are not inherently violent people today. They might have been then, or they might not have been. It's often a case of young men, in particular, in the wrong place in the wrong time, at the wrong uh, time. And... Um, these are mistakes that um, do not necessarily reflect on their character today. Um, so I, I actually w- uh, suggest to businesses that they examine each candidate who otherwise seems qualified or is referred to them on an individual basis to truly understand, you know, is this a violent person or is this someone who was in a bar fight uh, that got out of hand at age 18 and they're age 30 now. You know, you really have to look at these uh, situations as, as individuals.
5: Well, and there's a huge number of people in the, the uh, U.S. prison population that are there for nonviolent drug offenses.
3: Um, less than you would think. Uh, really? Th- 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 yeah. Th- that is a uh, in the federal system, which is only about 7% of the overall prison population, it is overwhelmingly drug offenses. But in the uh, state systems, uh, which are most of the incarcerated individuals in prisons? Um, it is, uh, violent, crimes of violence is about roughly half. Next is property crimes, and then you get to drug offenses and things like public order uh, offenses. So uh, there's a little bit of a myth out there. You know, I, I don't sugarcoat any of this. I'm very fact based in this. When I talk about engaged employees, it's based on facts when i talk about who's in prison it's based on facts and and people need to know what we're getting into uh,
5: just a few years ago uh, like 5 or 10 tops um there was a a guy um Wantes Davis was his name he had uh, gotten out of prison he had been convicted of murder um it was a, a family related thing there's a whole story that goes with it as I'm sure you, you've experienced. Um, but he ran for the Flint City Council. And he literally went door to door telling people, you know, I, I got out of prison, I was convicted of murder, but I turned my life around and I want a chance to help Flint turn around. And he made it part of his campaign. He got elected.
3: That's very powerful. It's, I had never, n- never heard of that, but that's, that's one. Statistically, um, one-time non-premeditated murderers actually have the lowest recidivism rates. Um, I, I would never lead with that with a business. I'd never say you want to start looking for one-time non-premeditated murderers. But the reality is that um, uh, things happen when you're young. Things happen when you're young and come from environments where there is not a lot of hope or opportunity or vision of a of future. Um, I will tell you, what, what one of the things I do in my book is I profile successful, very successful businesses that have made this kind of hiring part of their practice. And uh, there's a fellow in Philadelphia, Jeff Brown, who runs a chain of supermarkets. And uh, many of them are in... Um, very poor neighborhoods that would otherwise be food deserts. And, and he has you know, bright, clean, normal supermarkets there, but he hires from the community. And that often means hiring people with uh, criminal records. And in fact, of his 2,500 employees, about 500 are second chance hires. And he said to me, you know, if you're a young man in this situation, the only route you see to making a living is the drug trade. If you're in the drug trade, you need to protect your inventory. If you're protecting your inventory, you're going to have a gun. And young men with guns, sooner or later, something's going to happen. And um, that does not mean that 10 or 20 years later, you are the same human being. And so these are uh, nuances. Those are hard places for business to start. I wouldn't, you know, necessarily start that way, but Jeff Brown has very successfully. Um, but you as a business get to control where you start. And typically, that would be nonviolent offenses. Um, a lot of employers will have hard stops, no crimes against women, no crimes against children is one I've, uh, I've seen and, and, and certainly understand. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's about it's not about hiring everyone. It's about finding from this vast pool, who are the ones who can be great employees.
5: Well, when when Davis got elected, this became really kind of a an ironic story to me because I'd had him on my show, I'd talked with him, and he was real forthcoming about his crime, his background, and you know, how he wanted to live his life going forward. And the local newspaper didn't take him seriously at all. They never interviewed him, they never covered his campaign, and then the day after the election, there's this big headline story about how people in this one ward had elected a convicted killer to the city council. And I thought, how could you miss this? This was his whole campaign. Yeah,
3: yeah. You know, and,
5: and, and here is a case where they really didn't scratch the surface and find out who this guy was.
3: And what I have found that when you have people who sort of hit bottom and have the character to rebuild their lives, they tend to be really good employees, public servants, good citizens, and I've found personally good friends. Uh, And it is a, um, uh, I, I think this is, something that is very much an American story. We are the land of second chances. I I think I mentioned I'm the son and grandson of immigrants, so this was the country of second chances for my family. Many of us have had those kind of opportunities in our lives, and this is just about um, really living up to our aspiration to be the land of opportunity for all.
5: And, And at the same time, that very same country has the highest... Uh, population of incarcerated people
3: so, of so any I, country I always have to in push, the world. I have to push back on that a little bit, because that is uh, we do have the highest incarceration rate. But I always like to highlight the fact that China incarcerates more people. They don't come up in these listings because these listings only include people who are Incarcerated through a standard judicial process. So if you think well, good, the,
5: good, for you, yeah. Jeff, because yeah. I I have not factored China in. I, I've I've seen statistics comparing numbers in the U.S. to South Africa and to Russia, but not you're, China.
3: Yep, you're, and you are absolutely right. All the various resources do this, and people can look this up on Wikipedia. If can I, I encourage people to are welcome to fact check me because I'm fact based. Um, we should not let China off the hook. <laughs> uh, uh, on
4: fair you know,
5: point, Jeff.
3: And, and so, I, and so I, I always think that's important. Plus, many in the criminal justice reform mo- movement are uh, anti-capitalist and anti-business. And I think it's important to remind people that these other systems have their abuses as well.
5: Of course, and and the the whole point is that the reason they tend to be it's a two-way street. The the reason a lot of these groups, the uh, criminal justice reform people, are anti-businesses because business has been anti-second chance.
3: That, that absolutely right. Well put. It's
5: it's you know it's a it's a two-way street and 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 kudos to you for trying to build a bridge between those two sides.
3: And you know there there is a growing movement within the business community. Once you start scratching the surface, it's um, amazing how many business leaders, when they understand the issue, truly care about this. Um, I, I was very fortunate um, uh, on the back cover of my book. I have a number of endorsements from CEOs. Um, you know, I always highlight in Michigan, uh, Troy, Michigan-based Kelly Services. Uh, for some, those of us of a certain age, this was the Kelly Girl. They offered opportunities for yeah. careers at work for women early on. They're focusing on this. Uh, Peter Quigley, their CEO, endorsed my book. He's joined the Second Chance Business Coalition, a prominent group that is actually doing things, not just signing a pledge, but actually doing pilot programs. And Kelly um, just did a, uh, a pilot program with Toyota um, in their, one of their Kentucky plants and found what everyone finds when they do this right. You give people a Second Chance those who are worthy of a second chance who've earned that right for a second chance and give them the tools to thrive they become great employees and uh... so there's great business leaders like peter quigley uh... kroger grocery stores they have a second chance program uh... rodney McMullen, their ceo also uh... was nice enough to to uh, uh... endorse the book uh... so there's a lot of great business leaders in the united states who once they understand the problem want to do something about
5: it now i i i know the the first the, the knee-jerk response to this question is going to be everybody but who are you hoping will get this message will read this book and 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 uncover the information that you've shared
3: I find it has different audiences. So I, I guess I'm going to go back into my the everybody response. <laughs> I, I, I wrote I it mean, with... Every the,
5: writer wants everybody <laughs> to read their book, <laughs> Absolutely. Jeff. But,
3: uh, but so there I'm have to be some... So, well, I, 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 let me start out with, I realized the need for this book was business executives, business owners, business decision makers who needed a guide to understand how to solve their labor shortage and why this population can be that solution and just as critically, how to do it the right way. So, so that was the number one audience. But what I've found is nonprofits like the reentry organization Flint, you mentioned, are using this book to improve their practices, to be more business friendly, to help the business community understand uh, this necessity. Um, there's a philanthropist in Pennsylvania who actually funded sending these books to prison libraries so that people behind bars can know that there are businesses out there that care and so that they can use their time behind bars wisely. And then the general public has so many conflicting and confused messages about who are, who is caught up in criminal justice system. How did we get to this point of mass incarceration? Uh, that's also an audience that has valued this book. So I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I intended one audience, and it's ended up being um, much more broadly useful.
5: Another thing that you point to with this book that I think is important to um, uncover a little bit or unpack a little bit is that when this is working well, it impacts recidivism, which has an impact on crime rates.
3: This is ultimately a strategy for public safety as well as a more prosperous economy and stronger families. Um, Our recidivism rates, people recommit crimes at a very high rate if you've come out of prison, but a lot of that is because the unemployment rate for people who have exited prisons is 27%. And in the first year, it's thought to be, of exiting a prison, it's thought to be over 50%. If you can't be given an opportunity to rebuild your life honestly, people tend to do so dishonestly. So this is an important public safety process as well.
5: Well, if they don't have a new path to follow, they're going to follow the old path.
3: Absolutely right. And that's the, often the path of least resistance, it's what the friends who got you into trouble the first time are still doing that kind of thing.
5: Exactly. Well, it's, it's a, a, an important book and kudos to you for laying it out for people for doing the research and, and suggesting some of the ways that people might change their thinking. The book is called untapped talent, how second chance hiring works for your business and the community by banker Jeffrey Korzenik. Um, Jeffrey now that you've got this this book down um have you got the bug now is, is there another book in the works
3: There is and actually one that um, might be of great interest to some of your listeners um I have been a great believer in the importance uh and viability of bringing more manufacturing jobs back to the United States reshoring and um, I I I have been making the argument to business audiences it is Starting to happen, and I think the supply chain disruptions that uh, we've seen during the pandemic have added urgency to this. And so there's so many reasons, including hardcore economic reasons, to bring more manufacturing jobs back to the United States. Um, I would like to share those arguments with the broader public and also debunk some of the arguments about why we lost manufacturing. And uh, there's a a lack of belief in the opportunity for manufacturing in the United States that deserves a rebuttal.
5: Well, uh, I've always said Flint has an awful lot of problems, but but nothing 70,000 new jobs wouldn't cure. (laughs)
3: <laughs> that's right, and, and, and you know it, it's not. We're not going back to 1948 America, where half of all jobs were in manufacturing.
5: No, that's true.
3: But we will can gain our fair share, and in doing so, it's not going to go back to every geography, but it's going to go back where there's the infrastructure and the culture of manufacturing, and that most certainly includes Flint and the state of Michigan.
5: Yeah, I would think um, there there are a lot of. Uh... A lot of good things about Flint uh, in, in terms of location and transportation and infrastructure and so on. There's there's a lot to be said for you know bringing manufacturing back. Uh, although the little bit that we see, it's for every eight thousand jobs we lost, we get back about a hundred and fifty. But you know,
3: it is so far. <laughs>
5: yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was a
3: good base I, to build on, I think. I,
5: I, was, I was just going to say, you know, but that's a start. So um, and and hopefully programs that can give second chances to this huge population of potential or, as you call it, untapped talent. Um might actually uh be a magnet to some businesses
3: yes I, I, absolutely and, and uh, you know people coming out of prison often can be trained prior to that uh, michigan has uh, these vocational villages and i believe it's three locations that are increasingly doing training for the needs of businesses, and um, they've had a great success with this. It's actually a model for other states uh, that have been following the the Michigan uh, Michigan example. And, uh, you know, these are jobs that maybe too many communities um, aren't willing to consider manufacturing. They want their kids to go a four-year college degree, whether they should or shouldn't go down that path. But this is a population that is very willing to learn and better their lives, uh, or at least you can find – candidates within that and uh, there's a, some great opportunities
5: well jeff i always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about obviously the book is a great great place to start and um and of course i know you want everybody to read it <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um i i just want to applaud your your work and and see if you can share with people where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Do you have a website, Jeff?
3: I I do. It's uh, uh, J e f f k o r z e n i k J-E-F-F-K-O-R-Z-E-N-I-K.com. I'm the only Jeff Korzenik on the planet, so um, if you can get even close, you'll probably uh, find me. I have a Twitter feed, uh, at Jeff Korzenik, And uh, for people in the business community who uh, use LinkedIn, I'd invite you to follow me. I post a lot of the work and the podcasts that I'm doing and so forth uh, on my LinkedIn website as well.
5: Well, Jeff, it's been an honor talking with you. And uh, I wish you a happy new year and all kinds of good luck with the book. And keep up the good work.
3: Thank you so much. A happy new year to you and to all your listeners as well. Take care. Thank you.
5: That was uh, Jeff Korzenik. He is um, an unlikely author of this book. You wouldn't uh, expect him to be uh, a chief investment strategist of one of the country's largest commercial banks, Um, but he's written a book called Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring, works for your business and the community and uh, as as regular listeners of the show know that uh the the fate and future of returning citizens has always been of interest to me uh, so check out the book and uh stay tuned we got more of the tom sumner programs starting-
2: <laughs>
9: You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again. This time, from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, here Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, pearly gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel and eleven others, This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send 995 dollars 95 in checker or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa. Canadian residents add
2: $3. The Tom Program.com The Tom Sumner
6: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, I worked as an accountant for a number of years in Chicago, uh, and I had a kind of a strange uh, theory of accountancy. Uh, I had always felt, uh, you know, if you got within two or three bucks of it... (laughs) but this never really caught on. (laughs) And as a consequence, I held a number of different accounting jobs, you see. And it seemed like whenever I would go with a company, uh, they would always be having a retirement party. And I found out one thing. They are all alike. Uh, Different people will retire. Different people make the speeches. But they all say the same tired old thing. I went to one in Chicago for a guy named Chuck Bedlow. He was an accountant, and he was retiring after 50 years. And first of all, Mr. Clayton got up. He was the president. He gave a little address. Then Mr. Tipton, the vice president, gave a little address. And finally, Bruce Higgins, the head of the accounting department, got up and gave a little address. And he was Mr. Trite. He used every cliche that had ever been used at a retirement party, Uh, and he said things like this. Well, uh, uh, golly, I guess today's the day, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's really gonna seem funny though, uh, golly walking in here Monday morning and, and not seeing, uh, not seeing... Uh, uh, Charlie's uh, smiling happy face there at the desk I uh, I got to calling him smiling easygoing Charlie <laughs> and I guess most of us had some sort of nickname or other we used to call him from time to time <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget um a... Well that that too yeah uh, I'll never forget a kind of amusing thing happened uh I just gotten out of college and uh now what's what's the phrase I'm looking for here I, I well, a, a little wet behind the ears, I guess, might be the way to put it. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: and I was made department head here. And uh, many a night that Charlie and I used to uh, sort of uh, burn the midnight oil, so to speak. So let's really hear it now for a wonderful old guy. Uh, uh, Charlie, uh Bredlow, Bedlow, Bedlow, Charlie,
2: <laughs>
8: well, uh, uh, thank, uh, thank you very much, Bruce, golly, I've been uh, sitting here uh, listening to uh, Mr. Clayton and um, Miss, Mr. Tipton, and of course Bruce here and through all of their species, one thought sort of a recurring in my mind, I uh, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I have never heard such Dribbling all my life. I, I don't suppose that it, it ever occurred to any of you that I had to get half stoned every morning to make it down to this crummy job. You'd, uh, you'd, you'd be s- smiling and. Easy going if you were gassed all the time, too. <laughs> but you put in your 50 years, and they give you this crummy watch. They, I try to, try to make a big deal out of it, it works out to about 28 cents a year. But uh, seriously, if it hadn't been for the 50 bucks a week that I glommed out of petty cash. (laughs) Well, I I just, uh, I couldn't have made it on on the lousy salary they paid. Oh, and then uh, someone started the rumor about Miss um, Wilson, the uh, the cashier, and myself. <laughs> and everyone was running. If uh, you know, when I retire, and uh, she gets back from her vacation in Florida, whether well, uh, we were to get married, I suppose, and spend our declining years down there. Uh, she, she isn't coming back, by the way. I understand that sweet old Miss Wilson is uh, into this company for about a hundred thousand bucks. It's it's a little deal that she's worked out. She either calls it uh, double payrolling or ghost payrolling or something having to do with payrolling. (laughs) I can never make heads or tails out of what she was talking about. Of course she's uh, down in Mexico with a hundred thou, and I'm up here with this crummy watch. (laughs) So anything that I might say I suppose it would be sour grapes.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
8: One last thing. A lot of uh, people have asked me, Charlie, what are you going to do when you finally retire? Are you going to get a little uh, part-time job in Florida or uh, just a around the beach? Or in other words, what am I going to do? I have some tapes from some office parties
2: <laughs>
8: that I'm, I'm going to let go for fifteen hundred bucks a copy. <laughs> now let me, let me take that back a minute. Uh, the June picnic may run seventeen five. <laughs> And with the money that I make off of the tapes and Ms. Wilson's under a <laughs> I should uh, do pretty good. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: This
0: was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
1: Have a drink or two or maybe worse If you come see me Please don't be alarmed at the bottle's empty found It's just me passing time, baby, being unarmed Some kind of protection or self-defense It doesn't show but I think that you'll find more than you see It comes me Expectations, I'm just hoping for the best I need a haircut and I'm usually badly dressed Wear it all, we need it's just anybody's gift use the
2: company come see me sounds on the left
1: hi I'm Alexander Zodik don't
6: touch that dial you're listening to Tom Sumner